Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you If you take out a, a, your smart device or your paper, uh, pen, whichever way, but, but take notes today. I'm trying to see which way I want to do this today and use my iPad. But um, do this uh, because we're going to share a message that I hope as we teach, um, it'll impact your life, not just for your present moment, uh, but I think that a message like today is one that you could focus on not just in this moment, for, but moments and de- days and weeks, months and years to come. And the message today is titled, Shattering Dagon. Shattering Dagon. Shattering Dagon. And I think that, that if you open up your heart right now, it's going to truly just move and, and minister to you. Before we get into any scripture we're going to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 5, and you can start doing that. But before we start reading from 1 Samuel chapter 5, I want to share something with you because I thought about a childhood memory that I had, and I thought that I thought of it as we're going to get into the scripture today. Have you guys ever done anything, and while you're doing it, you know, like, this is not going to end good, and then it doesn't end good, and the disaster happens, like, I knew this was going to happen? All right. I remember when I was about my son's age, maybe I was a little bit older, uh, maybe I was from 8 to 10 years old, something like that. I was upstairs in my bedroom, and if you remember, we, I don't know if you guys still do that, but we had these shelves uh, that were connected to your um, cabinet setting, whatever it was called. And um, I, I think I was trying to get something on one of my top shelves, so I climbed on top of the, 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 the cabinet things, and I was hanging on to my shelves, and I was trying to get something, and I knew what was going to happen, and I still did it knowing that it was going to happen. And while I was trying to hold myself and balance myself and trying to get the thing that I was trying to get there, everything just came loose. You know, it's supposed to be tied onto the back, and, and everything just came falling back, me with it. And we just fell back in unison, and boom, and crashed, and fell on my bed, and the shelf hit my bed. Parts of it just fell over the floor. Everything that was on all my shelves just fell. I heard... I heard boom, and I remember hearing one shattering noise, and I'm on the bed, the shelf is on me, I'm screaming, ah, you know, imagine Jackson doing this, my son, that's who I was, I was doing that, <laughs> and, um, and I think my mom came running up, what's going on, and she saw my, my whole shelf unit um, thrown on the floor, everything all over the floor, like, it fell on me, he's like, it doesn't just fall on you. And um, obviously, I had to tell the truth. I was climbing it to get something. And, and when we picked it up, we started putting everything back in its place. And I'll never forget, everything was, everything was perfect. No, nothing was broken. Everything was in its place. And we just put everything back. And I was like, okay. But there was this one thing. And it, it just, when we saw it, it was interesting because it completely just shattered. One thing out of everything that I, I think I had at that time, a glass see-through uh, piggy bank. That thing made it with all its coins inside. It made it. I put it back on the shelf. But this one bust, there was a bust of the face of Jesus. Maybe you know it's a, it's a very famous uh, 
drawings and, and sculpture that they made it also into the a bust of his face. He's there with like a face of anguish and he has a crown of thorns. It's a little small one. It was, it was a beautiful sculpture, a beautiful statue. And it, and it had um, the crown of thorns and it had blood and he had like tears and he had his face looking up like with anguish. I don't know if you've ever seen that. And, and, and they made it into this like beautiful little ceramic thing. Well, that was the only thing out of everything that shattered. It was the face of the so-called Jesus. And I say so-called because as I've grown in the Lord, I don't think that Jesus looked like that face at all. It was the European Jesus. It was very handsome with long hair and, and, and probably light eyes and light skin and all that. And I don't think that was anything like the Jesus that it doesn't matter how he looks like anyways. But the reality was it just shattered into pieces. And I said, interesting, out of everything to shatter, the one thing that shatters is the face of Jesus. And um, I remembered that story as, or that scenario as, that, as, as I got into this uh, message and as I was studying this, these passages. And I started to think because immediately, even at a young age, I knew that Scripture taught something about images. I knew that. And I knew that God wasn't for these images and for these statues and these sculptures even made after him. I already knew that at a young age. In Exodus chapter 20, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it teaches us those things. That you shall make no image of anything that is from above or that is on earth or that is in the water. And that you are not to bow to any of them. You've probably read that scripture before. And I remember that at a young age, that something like that existed in the scripture. That you weren't supposed to be having images of the Lord or anything like that. That he is telling you, have no image of me. Because in reality, he's saying that he's not a statue. He's not a statue that you falsely worship or that you pay reverence to, to then be destroyed and then there's no more reverence and all for it because the statue was shattered like the one in my room. Of no value now. But instead he's saying I am a person. And I am alive. And I am powerful. And my very presence lives in you. How many of you can say amen? In Daniel chapter 3 as we talk about statues being erected and should not be erected. In Daniel chapter 3 we see the three Hebrew men. And they tell King Nebuchadnezzar that our God is able to deliver us. And to save us from your fire. If you remember that story. If not, you could read it. But even if he does not, what do they tell King Nebuchadnezzar? Let it be made clear to you that we will not serve your gods. And I love this. We will not worship your gold statue. It was in them not to worship the statue. You see that? In Revelation chapter 13, we read how very similar to Daniel chapter 3 there will be a beast that will rise up and this beast will make this image and whoever doesn't worship the image of the beast, they would be sent to be killed. And that can mean many things, worshiping the image of the beast. But yet, he is not to be worshipped. And we see Revelation 13 is warning us. So the great deceiver, Lucifer, and every or any other demonic being, demonic host listen to this their aim is to always set up an image where we can come to worship it give our knee to it to bow to it it's always been his agenda if i could just my gosh 
If I could just distract you from the image, from the person of who is God, to this image that I put before you, then I've done my job. And that's the enemy's aim always, stripping us from your purpose, stripping us from our purpose on earth. And what is your purpose on earth? All over scripture it teaches us. And we just ended the song with it. It is to worship him. We sang a song right now and it said, to worship you, I live. And if I could remove them from worshiping him to worshiping this, then I've taken them away from their purpose on earth. And that's his aim. What has come into your life that has taken your worship away from God? See that? We're going to call that thing today through the scripture, Dagon. Because Dagon needs to be shattered in your life. Amen. So we'll learn that if our worship is wrong, that these things need to be shattered. And some things have to fall and they will fall. And they are to, they are to never be picked up again and to put them back into pieces. It's like the story of Humpty Dumpty. You don't put them back together again. You let these things shatter and never glue the pieces back together again. Amen. Let's get into the scripture. Hopefully you're excited for the word of God today. In 1 Samuel chapter 5, let's turn there. We're going to read through these verses. And I believe God's going to speak to us heavily today. In a weighty manner. And we're introduced as we read here, to the Philistine god, uh, one of many, obviously, they had many gods, but this is a very important god, and his name is Dagon. If you want to know how to spell it, it's very easy. It's D-A-G-O-N, Dagon. I'm sure that you have it up there on the screen, so perfect, Dagon. And Dagon is reintroduced in 1 Samuel chapter 5. I say reintroduced, because it's not the first time and it's not the last time that Dagon is mentioned. Dagon is an interesting, I guess you want to call him character. According to ancient mythology, he was the father of Baal. How many of you have heard of Baal in the scriptures before? He was also a very known god to the nations of this time, to the kingdoms of this age. And Dagon was his father. So Dagon was of high importance to the people. So we know Baal, who was worshipped by these kingdoms, as we read it in the Old Testament, in, and also in these historical books. Even Israel themselves, Israel, the people of God, as Scripture teaches us, even they worshipped Baal, as they took customs of their enemies and for themselves, and they fell and worshipped Baal numerous times in their history. But Dagon... Dagon is different. He is what we would consider a fish god. A fish god. Uh, if I were to show you a picture of him, you'll see that they're worshiping a merman. A literal merman. A man who is half fish and half creature. Um, human creature. Half man, better said. And half fish creature. He was a merman. I'm going to show you a picture of him real quick. And, and this is pretty much what Dagon looked like. What do you guys think? That's Dagon for you. Maybe you've done a study already on Dagon and on Baal and all these false gods. But just in case you didn't, I wanted you to, I wanted you to put a, 
a picture in your mind as we read through the text. I wanted this to kind of be seared because I think it brings uh, and it gives you a more understanding and, and a better memory. But here is this merman, this fish god, this half man as you see him and a half creature. The head of a man, the torso and the hands, the arms of a man, but yet the lower extremities of a fish. And, and, and this is the, the god that we're about to read here in this chapter. And, and it's not the first time. There are instances in which we read of Dagon as we see him here on the screen. If you remember the Philistines, they offered a great sacrifice to Dagon. Believing that their idol, that their idol delivered Samson into their hands. Do you remember that story? Let's read it. I'm not going to read the whole story, just one verse. Judges 16.23 if you're taking notes. It says this, and, 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 and he just put that picture in your mind. It says, now the, Lord of the, the lords of the Philistines, they gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, to the fish god, who was their god, and to rejoice. And this is what they said, our god has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. Our Dagon has delivered Samson into our hands it's not the first time you hear about him they spoke about him in judges 16 again i'll give you another example if you're taking notes first chronicles chapter 10 verse 10 when king saul was killed to humiliate him to humiliate israel and the king of israel what did they do they fastened the head of king saul in the temple of Dagon. In 1 Chronicles 10.10, as they cut off his head, and they put it there in the temple of Dagon, and say, here is your king, Israel, in the temple of Dagon, decapitated. Dagon is a very interesting, very interesting in, uh, idol. Let's put him back up. There he is. I'll give you one more example where he's not fully mentioned but he's there. He's there. Dagon plays a role in the story of Jonah as well. You're going to like this one. Although the, the deity of, if you want to say, of Dagon is not mentioned in his book, in Jonah's book. The Assyrians in Nineveh, if you remember, Jonah was to go and take the word over there as a, as a missionary. And these Assyrians during this time, they worshipped none other than Dagon in this time. But not only did they worship Dagon, forgive me for not having a picture of her, but they also worshipped the fish goddess whose name was Nanshi. N-A-N-S-H-E. I mean, so much foolishness in this world. And, and, and they're worshipping Dagon, they're worshipping Nanshi, and Jonah, of course, we know his story. He doesn't go straight to Nineveh. Instead, he's brought there by a miraculous means, by this miraculous occurrence that happens. And the Lord transports Jonah, because of his disobedience, to Nineveh, none other than the scripture says, by a great fish who swallowed him. How many of you remember that story? A great, out of everything or anything that could take him to Nineveh. What takes Jonah to Nineveh? A fish. A great fish, mind you, to a people that worship a fish god 
and a, a fish man and a fish woman. A merman and a mermaid. There you go. Never thought about that? So when, when he's spit out, when he's taken to Nineveh, it was full of meaning for the Ninevites. When he arrived in their city, you can imagine the splash that he made. The, the ruckus of Jonah being spit out from that fish when he arrived there. He was a man who was inside a fish for three days. And he was taken out of, the, out of this fish in the shores of Assyria. And the Ninevites who worshipped the fish god were impressed, truly impressed. And what did they do? We can't do anything but give our attention to this man. This is definitely an act from God. And what happens? Well, we know the rest of the story. Jonah gets their attention. God gets their attention. And they all repent of their sin. So I wrote this down in my notes. God knows how to get people's attention and how to win their hearts. He does whatever it takes. Oh, they worship a fish? Watch this. I'll send my messenger through the fish. <laughs> to show them that I'm their God. So Dagon is all over the scripture. Hope you enjoyed that introduction. He's all over. 1 Samuel chapter 5. Let's read it. It says this. After the Philistines captured the Ark of God. Everyone say Ark of God. This is crucial and of most importance in everything that we're about to read. It's not Dagon. This right here. The message is titled, Shattering Dagon, but the whole purpose of this message is really honoring the ark of God, <laughs> which is the presence of the Lord. So shattering Dagon. After the Philistines captured the ark of God, they took it from the battleground of Ebenezer to the town of Ashdod. Verse 2. Listen to this. Into the temple of Dagon, and they placed it beside an idol of Dagon. Pause. Do you already see things that are wrong? You're already getting a revelation of his word? In verse 2? And in verse 1? So, what's going on here in 1 Samuel chapter 5? What's going on is, it was a time of war. And it was a time of war between Israel and the Philistines. And I know what you're saying. When isn't it a time of war between Israel and the Philistines? Well, this is one of them. And in this war, many Israelites died. Many. I'm talking about the Philistines were beating down the Israelites. Very impressive warfare. Destroying the Israelite people. And they were dying by the thousands. By the thousands. And you could say, well, that is horrible. That has got to be the worst thing that is happening. And I could say, no. The worst thing that has taken place, it's what we're reading right now. It's, it's, it's this thing right here. Verse 2. Because we've learned here, and just in case you forgot or maybe you never heard this before. So as a refresher, the ark of God. Remember I told you to say ark of God? Maybe you wrote that down in your notes. Say it one more time. Ark of God. The ark of God, the ark of the Lord, it represents the presence of the Lord. The, it means, for the Israelite, it means that the presence of God is with us. 
So it's very important. The ark of God is more important in this story than Dagon. And what happens in this story is they take the ark of God. Scripture says they captured it. You probably played as a child capture the flag. Where you take the flag of your opposing team and to take it to your base and to put the standard on the ground to say we won. And it's, it's a very more fairing, nonviolent kind of warfare. But this one is, no, let's kill thousands of them, take their ark that they say is their God, and let's put them in the temple of our God. It is the same mindset that they had with Saul. The kings to the Assyrians and to the Philistines were looked at as gods. So they chopped off their head of their God, King Saul, and they pushed them. Put him in the temple of Dagon. They're making a point. Do you get it? They're making a point. He resides where our God resides because our God won. We have the victory because of Dagon. Hopefully you're catching this. So where do they put it? As we read this scripture, it's right there in the temple. As they capture the ark of God, the, the very presence of God Known to be with the Israelites, they placed this ark and they put it in the temple of Dagon. Not just in the temple of Dagon, but listen to what scripture says. They put it beside his image. God's presence, please write this down, will not dwell in false temples. How many of you know that we're talking about a temple of Dagon? But how many of you know that the New Testament says that you are the temple of God God's presence will not dwell in false temples that's why we say to people just give them time the temple of the Lord will, re will reveal itself over time whether it's of God or whether it's not of God because God will not dwell in false temples number two God's presence will not dwell among false gods God's presence will not dwell amongst false gods. If you think, oh, well, I'm good because I have no false gods in my life. The last thing I'm talking about is a sculpture that you bow down to and worship. Many things could be false gods that are none of them are made with a ceramic piece or, or a ceramic sculpture. God's presence will never dwell among false gods. He will certainly not be put besides any other god because he is God And scripture says he is above all gods. Never will he stand beside, beside any gods or beside any idols. Let's read verse 3. It says this. <clears throat> it says in verse 3, after they put him in the temple of Dagon and placed him beside the idol of Dagon, the ark of God, verse 3 says, But when the citizens of Ashdod went to see it the next morning, Dagon had fallen with his face to the ground. That, that pumps me up. In front of the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and they put him in his place again. Everyone say, put him in his place again. <laughs> such a dumb, such a dumb phrase. They put him in his place again. Dagon, the next morning, he falls, his face is on the floor in front of the presence of the Lord. And they go and they say, wow, what an act, what an act, what an act of God. 
And they pick him up and they put him in his place again. Like, I want you to really put yourself in the story. Let's put Dagon back up there. The first picture. This Dagon, he falls before the presence of the Lord. They pick him up and they put him where? In his place. In his, come on, I want you to stress that. In his, in his place again. In his place again. They, they, he's on the floor, prostrated with his face on the floor and his hands on the floor before the presence of God. If I'm Dagon and the ark is there, I'm laid out, postured on the floor. They pick him up and they put him in his place again. Where did they put Dagon? In his place again. <laughs> that scripture made me laugh when I kept it. I, I can't believe that that scripture is there. They had the audacity to say they put him in his place again. <laughs> you get it? Because when I read that, I say, no, 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 that's wrong. They didn't put him in his place again. That was his place. They removed him from his place. And they put him back to a place that he has no right to be in in the first place. Never is Dagon to stand or sit or be before the presence or next to the presence of God. Dagon took his place before the Lord. And it was to fall, prostrated, face first before the feet of the ark. <laughs> Who are they to put him in his place again? When the gods already decided that the place was set. And I say gods because don't think for once that there is not the God amongst false gods. Man, that's good. That's, that's, that's a powerful passage there. Powerful scripture. His place is where they found him. Fallen. Fallen with his face to the ground. In front of the ark. In front of the presence of the Lord. How many of you would say amen? Hmm. Everyone say, but. Yeah. Verse 4. But the next morning, remember, they put him in his, I'm going to change the scripture around, the wordage around. They put him in his false place again. <laughs> Verse 4. But the next morning, the same thing happened. Well, what do you think is going to happen? You see, God gave you grace, all right, man? Like the first time, like, now I'm just going to shatter things. Watch verse 4. He says, the next morning, the same thing happened. Dagon had fallen face down. It's not a coincidence. He could have fallen back. He could have fallen to the side. But he's fallen face first again. Look what it says. He falls face down before the ark of the Lord again. <laughs> and I love this. This time, his head and his hands had broken off and they were lying in the doorway. Only the trunk of his body was left intact. The, as, a, as, a, as a child of God, does that, that make you smile? I'm like, shoot, mess with my God. But, but, but this is interesting. Let's put the picture up. Here's, here's what happens in verse 4. Oh, it's blurry. Forgive me. I picked a bad picture for you all. But you get the point. The ark is right here to the left. The idol of Dagon collapses again before the presence of the Lord. And now his head falls off from the torso. And his hands and arms fall off from the torso. So the only thing that is intact 
is the torso area. But very importantly, God does something. He removes both the head and the hands from this false deity, from this false God. I love the scripture and the detail of it. It's almost like the Lord is saying, oh, you didn't know this last time, but maybe this time you will. And the next day, Dagon falls face first before the Lord. And this time, the scripture says, this time, love that, this time, his head and his hands were broken off. I'm going to tell you why his hand was broken off. Everyone say hand. His hand was broken off because the hand represents authority. And the reason why the hand of Dagon needed to be broken off is because before the presence of the Lord, God is reminding us that these things that we've tried to mix into our relationship with him, well, these things have no authority. So the question is, why would you put me in the arena as them? For many, it's done unknowingly. Like the Philistines, they had no idea. Some people start off with a little decision here and a little decision there. And the next thing you know, you've opened up the door. And without you realizing it, it's been a long time. But you've been bowing your knee to the wrong God. And your lifestyle represents that your knee has been bowed to a false God. Sorry if I'm coming off a little strong, but this is the scripture. And it's, it's a beautiful passage. It's a beautiful scripture because God rips his arms off. He rips off his hands and he said, they have no authority. Why would you put me in this? See, the enemy doesn't just suddenly do it. It's little by little. It's happened in my life. I'm sure it's happened in all of our lives. I'm not anyone up here to say, oh, shame on you. It's, it's happened to all of us little by little. Little by little, we open the door, and it will cause us to what? To lose reverence, to lose the hunger, hungerless for his presence, to long for his wordless, to justify other things as we relate them to God or God to these other things. And the Lord shatters Dagon and says, no, everyone say no, no, they have regal, no authority. And I don't know if God's ever spoken this to you, but he has to me, for I am a jealous God, and I am jealous over you and I want all authority so I have to shatter the hands of those gods in your life number two they shattered his not just his not just his I, I'm sorry I was saying hand his head not just his head which represents authority I shattered his head and he has no authority the head is the authority of the body as we know that Christ is the head of the church he is the head he is the authoritative figure of the church amen Number two, he shatters the arms and the hands. And what does that represent? It represents ability. It represents power. With hands you work. With hands you push. With hands you fight. With hands you go to warfare. With hands you have the ability. With your hands and your arms. So what is the Lord saying as he shatters the head of authority and the arms and the hands that represent ability and power? Here is what he's saying. Why would you give yourself over to something that has no ability to truly do for you and give you or release the promises that only I have for you and only I can give you? God made it crystal clear, listen to this, that Dagon had neither authority or ability. So what do I do? I will shatter it in my presence. Are you with me? Come on. Shattering Dagons in your life. Shattering them. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. <clears throat> then the Lord's heavy hand, like if that wasn't enough, because they continued to put Dagon in his place and give him of high importance. Verse 6 says, 
Then the Lord's heavy hand struck the people of Ashdod and the nearby villages with a plague of tumors. A plague of tumors. For the sake of time, let's just read 7 and 8. When the people realized what was happening, look what they began to cry out. We can't keep the ark of God of Israel here any longer. Stop. You think God's the problem? Am I reading this right? You're complaining that God is what's causing you to have tumors? How about saying, let's take Dagon and drown him into the sea. Make him a reef and coral for the fish. (laughs) Instead, they're like, we can't deal with God and his presence. Look what they say. We can't keep the ark of God, the presence of God of Israel here any longer. He is against us. No, you're against it. Man, humanity. God is against us. No, he's not. God is so for you. God is so in love with you. God cares so much for you. God gave his only son to die on the cross for you that whoever believes in him should not perish and have everlasting life. Everything in scripture teaches us that God is for you, never against you. We've made ourselves. Humanity has placed themselves against God. And yet these devilish people who are filled with the satanic within are saying it's God's fault. No, it's not. What situation are you in in your life? You better be blaming yourself and not God. It's God's fault. You know, if he would have not given me this, if he would have made this, if he could have done this. Listen, look at the mirror and say, it's my fault. Own up to it. I got to stop, stop worshiping false gods. And that's what's happening here. Such a powerful passage. And it says this. Hmm. He's against us. He will, we will all be destroyed along with Dagon. Dude, who cares about Dagon? They keep on bringing them up. You know why they keep bringing them up? It's a stronghold in their life. And you can't get rid of strongholds in your life. This is going to kill us. And Dagon, it's a sculpture. It's an idol. It fell and broke and it didn't do no good. But you continue to hold on to things that are no good. Guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to be shattered. Shattered Dagons. Shattered Dagons in your life. Amen? Let's keep reading. We'll all be destroyed with Dagon, our God. So they called together the rulers of the Philistines, the leaders of the towns, and they said, what what should we do with the ark of God in Israel? And the rulers discussed it and they replied, let's move it. Everyone say, move it. <laughs> let's move it to the town of Gath. Like, that's the answer. So they moved the ark of the, of, of the, they moved the ark of the God of Israel to Gath. Hopefully you're following along with what's happening in this story. To top it off, here they are now. And not only has it fallen and broken its head off and its hands and its arms, but now they're filled with tumors. In the King James Version, It states, please listen to this, that these tumors are on their private parts. In my notes, I literally wrote, ouch. It could be many different kinds of tumors, one very specific one. It could be very bad cases of hemorrhoids. And that's what these people are going through. It's it's intense. It's very, very intense. And it's interesting, as Dagon is the fish god. Please listen to this. Some can also call him the God of grain because grain is to multiply. But fish, very important, the fish God, because if we know anything, fish 
are very fertile. And Dagon is known to be a god of fertility. He's a fish god. In case you didn't know this, fish are fertile. I read that a snapper can lay 30,000 eggs in a season. But a large female might spawn an incredible 75 million or more eggs in each season. Did you guys know that, fishermen, about snapper fish? I, I didn't know that it laid that many eggs. Of large female up to 75 million or more eggs each season. And here are these people in verses 6 and 7. And what is it that's affected and struck with tumors? Their private parts. The parts that will cause them to be fertile or not. He, the Lord's trying to get their attention. I'm causing you to get sick in the places in, the, in your false worship. You're worshiping a God of fertility, so guess what? I'm going to take away your fertility. I'm going to challenge that, those areas. I mean, man, I read this stuff, I'm like, goodness, this is so detailed. God's like a puzzle. And they realize what's happening here, and what's their cry? We can't keep the ark of God. The God is of Israel. We can't keep him here any longer. He's against us. We went over this. We'll all be destroyed, and our God, Dagon. And they all began to call the rulers and the leaders of the Philistines and say, what should we do? Everyone say, what should we do? Right, but look what they're asking about. What should we do with the ark of God of Israel? And the ru rulers discuss, well, let's move it. Everyone say, move it. Yeah, what should we do? Move it. Their decision was to separate God from their idols. In this case, let's separate the ark of God. Listen to this. Let's move God out. Rather than surrendering their idols to God. Are you willing to move God out of your life? Or are you at the place that you got to say, man, I'm just going to surrender my idols to God. Be careful that your idols are not pushing God out. Be very careful. Because that's what's happening here. They're they're, instead of surrendering their idols, they're, they're walking. And, they're, and as they walk in this kind of disobedience, they, they move God out. And what has happened when you begin to move God out, you begin to forfeit the glory and the testimony of heaven. And you exchange it for the pleasures and the idols and the gods of this earth. And this is a very sad and dangerous place to find oneself. A very sad and dangerous place. Let's just read through the rest of the story because I think we get it already. I think you guys are on the same page here. I think we're understanding the scripture together. Amen? Verse 9, it says this. Oh, what a beautiful psalm. But when the ark arrived, we're going to read from verse 9. Let's read fast because it's a lot of scripture. Maybe I'll skip some. Verse 9 of, verse, of chapter 5. But when the ark arrived at Gath, remember they moved it, the Lord's heavy hand fell on its men, and young and old men, and he struck them as well with the plague of tumors, and there was a great panic. So they sent the ark of God to the town of Ekron, and when the people of Ekron saw it coming, they began to cry out, they're bringing the ark of God of Israel here to kill us. To kill us too. And the people summoned the Philistine rulers again. And they begged them, please send the ark of God of Israel back to its own country. Or it will kill us all. For the deadly plague from God had already begun. And great fear was sweeping across the town. Those who didn't die were afflicted with tumors. And the cry from the town rose to heaven. You guys like this? This is insane. They should make a movie. It's a great... like. So the ark of the Lord, chapter 6, verse 1, remained in Philistine territory for seven months and all. And the Philistines called in their priests and their diviners and they asked them, what should we do? Same question again. They're dumb, man. 
But then again, I'm like, I'm the same way. I've done the same thing that they've done. I said the same thing that they said. And here's what they're at. What should we do about the ark of the Lord, about the presence of the Lord? Tell us how to return it to its own country. Send the ark of God to Israel back with the gift. And then they begin to explain how they should send it. Send this kind of animals with it. Do this kind of sacrifice with it. Build a cart. Find two, two cows. And then march the cows with the cart over there. And do all this that I've instructed you. Right? Let's go skip to chapter 6 verse 11. It says, then the ark of the Lord and the chest containing the gold rats. They even made gold rats for the pestilence and, the, and gold tumors. They were placed on the cart. So now they're going to send this. Here's my offering. Please get this presence away from us. And then we skip all the way to verse 18 of chapter 6. The five gold rats represented five Philistine towns and their surrounding villages which were controlled by the five rulers. And the large rock at Beth Shemesh where they set the ark of the Lord still stands in the field of Joshua as a witness to what happened there. Verse 19. But the Lord killed 70 men from Beth Shemesh because they looked into the ark of the Lord and the people mourned greatly because of what the Lord had done. Guys, this is amazing. Verse 20. Who is able to stand in the presence of the Lord, the holy God? They cried out. Where can we send the ark from here? So they sent messengers to the people at Karash Jarim and told them the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come here and get it. Terrified. I'm going to pause there. Because what do they say in the beginning of chapter 6? And they say later on, what should we do about the ark of the Lord? What should we do with the Lord? And, I, and I'm here to tell you that that's the wrong question. Instead, what should we do with these other gods? That's what they should be asking. Amen? What should we do with Dagon? What should we do with our worship? Have you ever seen yourself in a place where your worship is not the same and you're blaming other things when you should look at yourself and look at myself and look up to the Lord and say, what should I do about my worship? What should I do about our traditions? What should we do with our sin? And what's the answer? Hello? Shatter Dagon. Start there. Shatter it. Because it's affected your worship. It's affected it. It's built you false tradition. It's, it's built sin within you. Shatter Dagon's. And then we fast forward to verse 20. And verse 20 answers it so well. They were blind. They were blind to their own confession. What did they confess in verse 20? Who is able? Who is able to stand in the presence of the Lord, the Holy God? Church, what's the answer? Nobody. Nobody. There's the answer. Nothing can stand in the presence of the Lord because He alone is the one true Holy God. The ark was not the problem. Everyone say that. Uh, say this God is not the problem. The presence of the Lord is not the problem. And they were saying, oh, he's going to kill us. Oh, look at the sickness. Look at the tumors that we have. Look at all these that have died because of it already. Here it is. The real issue here is not the presence of the Lord. The real issue is the lack of reverence, the absence of worship, the conforming to the other things, the other gods, the other idols, and the other traditions, and not conforming their lives to God. That's the real issue. Have you allowed a little bit of Dagon to come into your life? And because you've allowed a little bit of Dagon, your life now has been conformed a little bit more to the tradition of Dagon. Anyone here? 
And God's like, shatter it. Shatter it because that lifestyle is not going to get you anywhere. Shatter Dagon. Shatter Dagon. Because I'm not the problem here. Your worship and what you've placed in next to me and you've placed in where I belong, that's the problem. So what do they do? They grab the ark and they say, we got to get this out of here. And they take it out to this field and they put it on a large rock in Beshemeth. Look at these pictures. This is a bonus, okay? This is a bonus. Wait, wait, don't put it. Take it up. Don't put it up yet. Hold on. So what happens is a couple of years ago, this archaeologist goes to this field to where this passage is, is said to be. This right here, what we're reading, this is so powerful, just so you can know that this story exists because we're about to close off here. And archaeologists began to excavate and they uncovered a 3,100-year-old, a 3,100-year-old temple in the ancient settlement of Beth Shemeth near Jerusalem. And what did they find? They find nothing else than the large stone that stood to rest the Ark of the Lord on it. When you look at the Ark stone and you begin to measure it, the dimensions are almost exactly similar to the dimensions of the Ark. Of where it was right there in that very temple, the field that it was in, all of that made sense according to Scripture. The pottery that they found around the temple, the animal bones that represented the sacrifices, they gave more proof that, man, First Samuel chapter 6, this has to be what we think it is. Look at this picture. And they found these, this massive rock. And on this rock is where they put the art. This is a real rock right now that you could go visit near Jerusalem. Let's put the next picture. They put the ark around that man as part of the temple and they put the ark right on top of that and that's where it stood on top of the rock. And I, and I like that the presence of the Lord stands on the rock because if you remember Moses was taken and he said, I want to see your faces as you do. Come over here. You have to stand on the rock and if you stand on the rock, I will pass by you and there you'll see my presence. I love that the presence of the Lord was placed on a rock because we know that our rock our foundation is Jesus Christ. And the presence of the Lord can be encountered and experienced and you could take hold of it. But your life has to be placed on the rock. That's a side preaching, right? Let's keep going. Here's some more passages. There's the temple around it. That is the rock in which the ark stood. Let's, I think there's one more, right? I think it's an aerial view. View. There's the aerial view. If I had a little red pointer, you could see the ark down here. And that is exactly, that, is, that, that, that was stripped up from the ground. That large stone, that temple still exists today. So for sake of time, if you're interested in all this stuff, I do. I'll spend hours looking at excavation things. I'm a nerd when it comes to these things. I love it. That's why I love our Israel trips and all that. I could stay there for hours. So for sake of time, read about it on your own time. It's truly fascinating. So you may be asking, as we get back to this message, I wanted to do that so you could see that this is real, this stuff that we're talking about here. How do I start shattering? How do I start shattering Dagon's? Well, let's go back. Let's go back to the Ark of God. That's how. When it finally arrived, listen to this because I'm, I'm going to wrap this up. When it finally arrived at Kiriath Jerim, the home of Abinadab, it remained there for 20 years. It says in chapter 7 so the men of Kiriam Jerim came to get the Ark of the Lord. They took it to the hillside, the home of Abinadab. And they ordained Eliezer, his son, to be in charge of it. The Ark remained in Kiriath Jerim for a long time. Listen to how long, 20 years in all. During that time, all Israel mourned because it seemed the Lord had abandoned them. 
It remained right there in this area, right there for, in, the, in this area of Kareem, Jiriam, however you pronounce it, for 20 plus years. We don't hear about the ark again until some 20-something years later. And guess who comes into the scene? It's a little shepherd boy. You ever heard of him? Who becomes king. And scripture says his heart is after the heart of God. This means something, guys. This is probably the most powerful point of this whole message. And his desire is to worship. And not only for him to worship, but that his whole household would worship the one true God. So who am I speaking about? Does anyone know yet? 20 years later, King David comes into the scene. And King David tells his men, listen to this. Let's go bring back the ark of God. Saul didn't say it. His heart was for himself. David said when he became king, let's go back and bring the presence of God. What is David saying? What's missing in Jerusalem? It's none other than the presence of God. Can I pause for a moment and say what's missing in your blank is the presence of God. What condition are you in? What have you picked up? What habits? Come on, only you can answer and confess and be honest with yourself. Do you know where freedom scripture teaches? Forgive me for coming off here. Do you know where freedom starts? Freedom starts with honesty. And if you're not honest, you're never going to be set free. So honesty starts here. And I say, what have I allowed in my life? Come on, start evaluating that. What do I need to confess? What's missing here is the presence of God. So you might be asking, well, how do I start shattering Dagon in my life? There's many points to that. It starts with honesty, being open and honest, but it also says you need to begin to shatter Dagon. By shattering Dagon, here's how you start. You start by worshiping the Lord again. I love what David does, even if you need to go back and pick it up where you left him. Begin to worship the Lord again because this is what the Lord wants. How many of you could say, I know exactly what you're talking about? So I'm in 1 Samuel chapter 6 and I'm ending. 20 years later, 20 years later, if I flip the pages to 2 Samuel and I find myself in 2 Samuel chapter 6 pretty in my translation it says moving the ark to Jerusalem shattered Dagon by not living to Dagon anymore in your life by not worshipping it anymore by giving your attention to God again and only God to give your worship again to only God. Does anyone know what happens with David? For the sake of time, write these down. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Comma. 
Second Samuel chapter 6, same chapter, verses 9 through 15. Comma. Same chapter, Second Samuel chapter 6, verses 16 through 23. What am I trying to say? Read all of Second Samuel chapter 6. Do you know what David starts to do? First off in the field as they're marching, the flute, the trumpets, and he begins to dance. And he begins to worship and they begin to play. Then he gets home and his wife is looking outside the window and he takes off his clothes and in council seals, in his underwear, he's so excited. You've been so excited in the game that you've taken off your shirt and you're like, yeah, touchdown. And you've done the craziest things. I've seen it on TV. People get naked and they put body paint and they put a number or a letter and it all spells something out. Go Dolphins. And you need like 15 of your friends to spell it and you're without a shirt. Yeah! David takes off his clothes. He's in his underwear. And he's dancing before the presence of God. And he's dancing. And that's where we get the song. Yo danzo, yo danzo, yo danzo como David. Yo danzo, yo danzo. That's where we get that song from. And he's dancing. His wife's like, mm, I saw you in front of all those girls dancing. He's like, well, that's their thing. Your father decided not to dance and that's why God took him outside of his kingdom and, and gave me his kingdom. And I, as long as I live, I'm going to worship and dance the one true God. Read all of 2 Samuel chapter 6. Where's David? His attention is on God. And maybe this is for you. Maybe you've been dancing in the wrong places. Dancing before the wrong God. And David finally says, I'm going to dance. And if I'm going to dance, I'm going to dance before the presence of God. And dancing is intimate. If my wife was here, I would call her on. I think I did this one time. I think I preached on the same message. And I brought my wife up here. Because she's my wife. And I started dancing tight with her. Because ain't no other man dancing tight with my wife. Because it's intimate. And what does David do? He's dancing I could do a TET. I could get into it. <laughs> no, he's like, no. They don't do it. Dancing. And David dances before God. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to examine your heart. Lord, I know this message is for me. So I come humbly before your presence. Saying that I will not, Lord, no longer dance before false gods and false idols and false ideas. I want to be like David, Lord God. They were so blind. These Philistines were so blind. What are we going to do about God? What are we going to do about his presence? And you're just like, come to me. Come dance and worship again. Let me shatter all the Dagons in your life. Let me shatter all the fortresses and all the things that strongholds. Let me break them down. All authority they have in your life. All the ability that, that they feel and think they have over your life. I'm going to show them that they have no authority over you. And that they have no ability and power over your life. Because when you walk into the room, Dagon would be shattered from its power. Shattered from its ability. Shattered from its authority. But when you look at the presence of the Lord, I will stand before you. And not a part of me would be moved. I am intact and I am whole. Because I will demonstrate to you as I present my glory before you that I am the one true God and all will bow its knee to me for I am worthy to be worshipped again come on if you need prayer let's stand together 
Let's stand together. If you need prayer today, you truly need prayer, and you're like, I, I got to shatter Dagon in my life or Dagons in my life. I got to be like David and dance again before the presence of the Lord. I got to stop dancing before Dagons. I got to stop crying out before Dagon's. I got to stop blaming all the... I, I got to recognize that it's where I'm at. And he's right there. He's in his presence. He's in his throne. And he's not shattered. Lord, shatter all those things that have authority and might and ability and strength over me. All the things that have been placed as a stronghold. Lord, let me have victory. Come on. You don't have to think about it. I know it's a, it's a group of us here. But if you feel like you need prayer today, I don't want you to leave here without one of us coming alongside you and praying for you and just saying, Lord, lift up worship like never before again in their life. Lord, let them begin to be honest. Let them begin to confess their sins, Lord, before you, before the right people. Lord, begin to do a miracle right now. This is not a coincidence. This day is just for them, Lord. Do a mighty work in my brother. Do a mighty work in my sister. If that's you, I, I just want you to come up here for no other reason, but, but that's a step of honesty. For no other reason, but that we could come alongside you and pray. Right there where you're at, begin to worship him. Right there where you're at, begin to declare all these truths to him. Right there where you're at, shatter Dagon's. And let the work and the might of the Lord truly begin to take over your life. Come on, church, start that. This is where church begins. Let's, let's have a time of ministry. Don't be so hurried. Don't be... Oh my God, look at the time. I got to go, I got to go, I got to... Let the, let the presence of the Lord come on, let it fill you right now. Let the miracles of heaven take over right now. Just, just let that happen right now in your heart. No hurry. I'm going to challenge you. Just start dancing right now with God. Come on. Start dancing with God. Start dancing in intimacy.